Thanks, music team. Good morning. So, last week we had spoke on, uh, well, we're in this series, there's only two left today and next week, um, two left in this series on God's desire for the church. And we've been looking at a lot of different things, but essentially within the context of what God's heart is for the church, what he hopes for his church, and what we would be in the church and the values that the church would express. And we've looked at a lot of different things. Last week, we looked at purity, God's desire that the church be pure. And we looked at how humility is the beginning of purity, that as long as we're arrogant and as long as we think that God needs to meet us on our terms or that we're doing things, uh, everything's just fine, Um, you know. Uh, there's other people worse than me, so I'm good enough, then it's very difficult to become pure in that spirit. But if we have a spirit of humility, that's the beginning of purity. Um, Today, we're going to be looking at God's desire for the church is that we be burden lifters. And what's going to be interesting today is that it's almost a carryover of that theme, that in the sense that purity in ourselves begins with humility, purity is only possible in the church in a spirit of humility amongst the people in the church as well. And The Apostle Paul is going to have a warning for us here in this letter to the Galatians, a warning about how as we go and approach transgression in the community of believers, that humility and uh, gentleness needs to be the beginning of that, uh, that engagement with transgression, even in the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks this morning. Uh, for this freedom that we do have to worship you, to open up your scripture, uh, to have our own copies of it, um, to uh, freely speak of you in coffee shops and restaurants and on the street, to uh, gather in a public building and give praise to you, and uh, to um, essentially lift up the name of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, and to tell the good news that uh, you exist that you created this universe uh, out of your glory and for us, and that you sent your son uh, to die as a sacrifice to restore a relationship with the people that were rebellious and wandered from you. And so, Father, we just pray that as we look into your scripture, that this good news, this message would come forth, and that as your children, we would learn uh, from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so, This week, we sort of continue that thought of humility is required as we deal with transgression or impurity, even in the in the church and the the verse. I'm just going to read it to sort of get it in your mind. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to Galatians uh, six verses one to five. And this is the Apostle Paul uh, writing uh, a letter to the church at Galatia. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the context of this uh, after I read the verse begins brothers. So he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. And so throughout this text, which is about a a brother or a sister overtaken by sin, uh, committing an offense in the community of believers, you notice that Paul's warning is not to the person who's committed the transgression. 
Paul's warning is to the people who surround that person who are attempting to care for them. It's a warning against pride. It's a call to humility, not for the sinner, not for the person who's done something wrong, but for the people who are responding to it. And so Paul's warning is for the church. Paul's command is to the church to bear the burden, but also not to be caught in the same transgression, to care for your own heart in addressing the offense. And so purity for the sinner starts with their humility, but purity for the church can only be maintained in that same culture of humility. And so the action being commanded of lifting the burden of sin, the spirit of the command must be done in is humility and gentleness. And so first I just want to provide some context and and talk a little bit about the tension of, of transgression in the church. Okay, this idea that there is, you know, difficulties or obstacles or stumbling and sin within the body of Christ. And, and maybe this is a helpful illustration. Um, we often think of church as being like a hospital, right? A church is a hospital where, where people come and there's healing and there's care for people and there's people here that can care for them. And so you can imagine a, a hospital tour. Maybe you were going on a hospital tour and the director or the president, whatever it is, there's healthcare people here. I'm not sure what you have at a hospital. It's not a principal. <laughs> what do you have, a director? Um, a what? A CEO. So the CEO of the hospital is taking you through this tour of this hospital, and it is pristine. It is spotless. It's absolutely pure. There is no, you know, that hospital smell. There's none of that hospital smell at all. It, it smells like, you know, you've just walked into a Febreze factory or something. And, uh, you know, there's no dirty linens anywhere. Everything is perfectly clean. There's no spots on anything. Uh, you know, the bedpans don't even look like they've been used. And... Uh, you know, so you're walking along, and he's showing you all this incredible, perfectly clean everything, and you're thinking, this is the greatest hospital in the world. Where are all your patients? Patients? We don't let sick people in here. It would ruin how perfectly clean our hospital is. Like, that's ridiculous, right? Obviously, the purpose of the cleanliness of the hospital is to care for sick people, and if you keep the sick people out of the hospital, it kind of defeats the purpose. But at the same time, if you were to tour another hospital, you go next door and you're walking around and, you know, you smell that smell and there's dirty laundry piled everywhere and the, and the implements aren't clean and there's stacks of dirty needles in the corner and, you know, the bed plans are overflowing and, you know, and, and you ask them, you say, like, why is this hospital so, so dirty? And the guy says, oh, we don't care about cleanliness, we just care about helping people. Well, that's obviously not going to work. You can't help people in a hospital if there's no cleanliness. And so I put this out there as a tension or the reality between transgression within the church. We are a hospital, and there's sick people. We're the sick people <laughs> that are in this hospital in the church. And so we need to deal with people who stumble, who are hurt, who are broken, who are bleeding sometimes on other people. And, but at the same time, the church cannot be so um, unwilling to deal with cleanliness and with purity that we're unable to help anybody. The church has to have those who are spiritual. There has to be some doctors in the hospital. There has to be some attention to cleanliness. There has to be humility and gentleness in how we approach people so that the environment that we're helping people in is actually healthy for them. The other thing that I want to acknowledge here, especially for people who uh, know this particular letter of Paul very well, the letter of Galatians, because we're jumping in at chapter 6, I just want to acknowledge uh, so, uh, maybe the irony that you might feel that's evident right here in the text for you know this letter because it's Paul who's making this exhortation. It's the Apostle Paul who's saying that those who are spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. 
And this is in the exact same letter that he's just described in chapter 2, his calling out of Peter in front of everyone because he refused to eat with the, with the Gentiles. And so here's Peter who just called out, or here's Paul who just called out Peter in front of the whole congregation and said, how come you're not eating with the Gentiles, you hypocrite? And he says, you should restore people in a spirit of gentleness. And it's also the same guy, Paul, who in, like, he just finished re- writing this paragraph not even five minutes ago where he wished that those Judaizers would actually emasculate themselves for teaching wrongly about circumcision. And then like a few sentences later, Paul says, you know, Restore these people in a spirit of gentleness. So I just want to address this irony <laughs> that it's Paul, you know, not to mention 1 Corinthians 5, where he says, kick the guy out of the church, turn him over to Satan so that his soul may be saved in the end. So this is Paul, who we don't really think of as a gentle person, who's exhorting the church to restore people in a spirit of gentleness. And uh, so I'm just addressing that irony right now. And I think what we want to keep in mind here, and it's important to the text, is that Paul is differentiating between stumbling versus practicing. When it says in the ESV version here, the text, it said, a brother who is caught in a sin. It's not caught like caught in a hand in a cookie jar. It's overtaken. It's caught as in overtaken like in a race. Sin is constantly pursuing us. Our flesh is constantly pursuing us. And so we can be overtaken by sin. We can be overtaken by offense. We can be overtaken in transgression. And so Paul is not talking about people who are practicing sin like these Judaizers were. He's not talking about people who are unrepentantly living against the instructions of Christ and against the spirit that should be in the church. Those types of people Paul deals with one way. What he's talking about here is he's talking about a different category. He's talking about a brother or a sister who's been overtaken by transgression. They've been caught. They've been sort of, they've stumbled is the word there. When it talks about restoring, it talks about mending. And so we're talking about stumbling versus practicing. So just to address that, There are ways in which the body of Christ, the church, is to address sin. And the body of Christ and the church is to address sin when a brother or sister stumbles and is overtaken by sin. And that's you and that's me. I get overtaken, right? I'm not perfect. We talked about that last week. That we can be overtaken by transgression. We can offend people and we need that spirit of gentleness and humility. So the important context here is that Paul intends burden-bearing or burden-lifting to be a value that's practiced by the church. And that's that's why the title of the sermon is that God's desire for the church is that we be burden-lifters. And so in order to understand, and that by by being burden-lifters, we fulfill the law of Christ. And so in order to understand what burden-bearing or burden-lifting might look like, I just want to talk very quickly just some of the ways that might be the opposite. In what way would the church be burden placers? If our intent is that we're to be burden lifters, what are some ways that we're burden placers? And are there any examples of that? Well, one of them is right in, in Galatians, people that we call the Judaizers. They're called Judaizers because they were, in the, they were Christians, possibly, but they were certainly in the Christian church. But they were saying, Jesus, yes, but also the law. So they were returning people to the law saying, well, you need to be circumcised, you need to follow the law this way, you need to follow the law that way. So it's Jesus plus. It's always Jesus plus something, right? That's the Judaizers that Paul is actually writing about in Galatians. And so the first way that we are burden placers is that we do what they do. We distort the gospel. We tack on all these requirements to the law and place a burden on people that Jesus never intended. That we say, oh, you know, 
Andy Stanley, I think if you were here when you were going through that video, I watched the videos that you guys watched, and I think Andy Stanley actually talked about this. He talked about how we create rules to keep ourselves keeping the rules. <laughs> so we have all these rules in order that we keep the rules, and if you break the rules, all of a sudden you have this burden of rule-keeping. And all of a sudden the gospel and Christianity becomes about keeping all these rules, right? I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. Uh, <laughs> Baptists have all these little jingles to keep them on the straight and narrow, right? But that's one of the, that's one of the things that we can do to, become, to be burden placers. We can create rules. We can distort the gospel and distract people from the reality that Christ came, paid the full price so that they can be saved, that they don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to observe a certain day. They don't have to observe a certain feast. They don't have to eat certain foods. They don't have to you know, you don't even have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and write a journal. That's not a Christian requirement. You don't have to journal. Um, you know, you don't have to be in a small group. We really want you in a small group, but you don't have to be in a small group. Jesus did not say, thou shalt. So distorting the gospel is one way that we can create a burden on people. And we can say, well, you have this problem because you're doing this and this and this, and you need to do this and this, or you're not a good Christian if you're not doing that. And that's why you have that problem. And it's like, well, that's not exactly true. We have to be careful that we don't distort the gospel. Secondly, quickly, just adding shame, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago, adding shame to the transgression. It's bad enough to have offended somebody. It's bad enough to be overtaken in a sin. But then in the place where you're supposed to be the safest, you feel the most shame. You confess it in the church or you confess it to your friends and all of a sudden you've, the, you're adding shame to the train. It's like, I can't believe you did that. You're a terrible person, you know? Like, I, we, bur- we add a burden to the sin by, by, by creating a sense of shame around transgression. You're in a hospital. You're going to be sick. There's no sense of shame of understanding that in the church there will be transgression. There will be offense. And that we can't add to that burden of the person by creating shame. Thirdly, I have here gossiping or turning the community against a person. It makes it so difficult to restore people in their transgression or in their offense, in their sin, once the burden of shame is added to what's already happened, and then that's spread throughout the church through gossip. Titus 3 actually addresses this when Paul's writing to Titus. He says, Remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray. And so we can really add a burden to the point where people don't even want to admit that they're overtaken in transgression. They don't even want to wrestle or deal with their sin or get it dealt with because of the shame and the gossip that might go around. And so as soon as we start talking about people's offense in places where we shouldn't be talking about it, we build a burden on them. We become burden placers instead of burden lifters. Fourthly, we offer advice or, the, or people preach at you. This is another way you can create a burden when somebody's been overtaken in sin and you take on the role of the Holy Spirit in, in your life, right? And you don't actually help. You don't take action. You just tell them what they're doing wrong. You know, you just tell them all the ways in which they've messed up. And they offer lots of advice. They preach lots of verses at you, but they don't actually help. And this is literally where the burden placing that Jesus especially didn't like in Matthew 23 when he goes on his rant against the Pharisees. You want to see Jesus get on a roll. Just go to Matthew 23. Jesus just goes on a rant against the Pharisees and he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and so do and observe whatever they tell you. So they're good preaching, they're preaching the law, they're good at teaching, but not the works they do. 
For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They're not willing to lift them with one finger, Jesus says. And we can do this too, right? We can start preaching at each other. We can start sort of playing the role of Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. You know, you remember the friends of Job? Like, is there a guy that is more burdened than Job, (laughs) right? He is under the gun, right? Like, he has lost everything. He feels the weight of the Lord sitting on him. And his three friends show up, and all they do is yak at him about all the stuff he's doing wrong and all the places he screwed up and, you know, offer all their advice on how he can make it better right? That's the friends of Job. And that's how we can be burden placers instead of burden lifters. By just, you know, oh, a little holier than thou. Let, you know, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit wants to speak into your life. What they really need is people not to preach at them. People under transgression, people who have come forward and, and been overtaken by transgression, and then they're trying to deal with it. They need people to make their burden lighter, not heavier. They need people not to preach at them, but people to come and join them in, in learning or in, in, in dealing with the offense and getting it made right. And so don't increase burdens. Make them lighter for people. You know, some people in the church might be wondering, what, you know, what is my role in the church? What is it that I'm supposed to do in the church? And one thing that you can do, if you want to commit your life to something in the church that you can do as a ministry, is develop the skill for detecting the burdens that other people are under. Detect the skill for, for, for sensing when other people are under a burden and help them lift it. And if you're a burden lifter in the church, you have one of the best jobs. You know, that's something that all of us can do, but especially a few of us could take on that role of having the gift of identifying and lifting people up who are under a burden. So it says, instead, fulfill the law of Christ. It says, in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. In verse 2 there. And that's an odd phrase in a book that says in 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in chapter 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So Paul is here teaching the Galatians that they're free from the law. And now he says that if you do this, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So are we just taking one law away and putting in another law? In a way, yes, but it's not a burdensome law. The law of Christ is not the burden that the old law was on the people. It's a more radical law, but it's a burden-lifting law. So Paul wants to contrast two different laws. One that we are dead to, Romans 7 says that you are dead to the law, and a new law that we are made alive to that's very different. And the difference is that Moses gave us a law, but couldn't change our hearts so that we could freely obey. Our pride and our rebellion was not conquered by the law that God gave in the Old Testament. The old, the law of Jesus brushes aside that law, that pride and rebellion. The law came along and it humbled us a little bit, right? The law came along. Remember, Paul talks about this. He says, I didn't realize I was, I was sinning until I had the law. When I read the law, I realized all the ways in which I was sinning. And so the law came along and it humbled us a little bit by saying, look, you're missing the mark. You're falling short. There's a great God and a glorious God who plans great things for his people, but you're falling short of what his, his hope is for you. And so we could be humbled a little bit and say, you're right, we are missing the mark. But then what we did in our human nature is then we said, then fine, I'll be really great at law keeping. And so we were humbled a little bit, but then we just replaced it with a pride in law keeping. The Pharisees said, I'm going to, you know, you want me to tithe? I'm going to tithe on my spices. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tithe 10% of my cinnamon. I'm going to tithe 10% of my cumin. I'm going to tithe, you know, 10% of my thyme, like T-H-Y-M-E. Um... (laughs) 
So the Pharisees, there was a new, the, the law didn't actually slay our pride. It just replaced it with law keeping, right? And so it didn't change our hearts. We replaced pride in ourselves with pride in keeping a law, which we really couldn't keep that law either. But the focus was still on us and how awesome we could be at being religious. Maybe not perfect, but at least better than other people. We could, you know, very quickly religion became a game of justifying my goodness by finding the faults in other people around me. So pride was still there. Purity could not come in a spirit of humility because it was just, there was pride even in the keeping of the law. But when Christ summons us to obey his law of love, what does Christ do? He offers us himself in order to put pride to death and change our hearts and empower us by the spirit and fulfill his law. Understand the law of Christ this way. If Jesus fulfills the law for us, if Jesus lives a perfect life, and then Jesus sacrifices himself for us undeservedly, and if he dies the death that we should be dying, and he takes on himself all of our sin, and then in return he gives back to us all of his righteousness, then where is our pride? Right? If Jesus does it all, and he does it for everyone equally, then we aren't any different than our neighbor or our coworker or our spouse or the people sitting next to us in church. Jesus flattens the field. None of us can find even a little tiny pebble to stand on to get our head above anybody else. So the law of Christ is a pride killer because The law of Christ is Jesus did it all. We have nothing to boast in. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you'll know. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that nobody can boast. So this is the new law that Paul is placing instead of the old law. It's a law where nobody can boast. It's a law where there is no pride. It's a law where everyone must be humble and gentle with everyone else because Jesus did everything. We have no leg to stand on in terms of pride. We have no foothold under the law of Christ for pride. The law of Christ is humility. And the law of Christ is also burden-bearing. Not only does the new law of Christ stand pride on its head and turn pride into humility, it turns law-keeping upside down as well. It's no longer how long of a list of rules can someone bear, it's what burdens can we bear for each other. It's no longer how much can I do for myself to keep this huge, like I keep 600 rules, I'm awesome. It's no longer how big of a list of rules can we bear, it's how many burdens for each other can we bear. Not our bearing, but our bearing for other people. So even though Christ's law is more radical in terms of love, when you read the things that Jesus says, you think this is impossible. This is way more radical than than Moses' law, than the law that that God gave to Moses. You know, Jesus says things like, uh, in terms of adultery, like if you even look at another person in lust, you've committed adultery. It's way more radical. You know, you talk about murder, Jesus says you even say you fool in your heart towards your brother you're guilty of murder. Jesus' law is way more radical in love than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. But he can say, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which is my instruction, my law, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is it light? Because God doesn't have, Jesus doesn't have a whole list of rules that we have to follow. 
He has himself that we have to love. That's it. That's, that's it. Put Jesus in the right place in your life and you fulfill the law. The law of Christ isn't easy because it's permissive. It's easy because when we're weak, he is strong. It's easy because he produces the fruit of love. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is Paul explaining this law of Christ. It's not Paul who lives, but Christ who is living through him. Christ never commands us to do anything that he wants us to do on our own. And therefore, every command in the law of Jesus is a call to faith. It's through faith that God supplies the spirit of Christ, Galatians 3.5. It's through the spirit that we produce the food of love, Galatians 5.22. It's through love that we fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. So we have the spirit of Christ, which produces the fruit of love, which allows us to fulfill the law of Christ. Galatians 3, Galatians 5, Galatians 6. So therefore, if you trust him, you fulfill his law of love. If you devote yourself to lifting the burdens of others, because Christ came to lift our burden. And we fulfill the law of Christ by lifting the burdens of others. So if that's the law of Christ, then in what way can we be burden lifters? Talked about all the ways we can be burden placers. Now quickly, how can we be burden lifters? How does Lakeside Baptist Church be burden lifters? He says in six one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if everyone is overtaken and stumbles, you who are spiritual, which just means those who are walking in the spirit, you may be enjoying a time in your life when you're really in tune with Jesus and your passions are rightly aligned and your passion for Jesus is carrying you forward in joy and you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So how do we do it? Christians stumble. We get overtaken and the burden here that Paul is talking about is sin. Now this is interesting. I'm just going to touch on this quickly. We often think of the burdens that people bear as illness and uh, persecution that we've just talked about and, and things like that. And those are burdens. But the burden that Paul is talking about here, and we need to help people bear those burdens as well, financial troubles, whatever. The burden that he's talking about here is sin. That Christians get overtaken by sin. Our flesh causes us to stumble and it's a burden that we need help bearing. How do we as a church, how does lakeside help or how do we as fellow brothers and sisters help them bear that burden really quickly it is forgiveness the first thing is bearing the result of the sin and the offense and forgiving it and bearing it daily i tell a really quick story here but i'm sort of out of time so i'm not going to tell that story but essentially the idea that um when 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 we sin when there's offense within the church we bear it right like i offend people I'll probably offend you hundreds of times <laughs> in the weeks to come. Um, I've probably offended most of you already. Um, so when, when there's an offense, when people stumble, there's an offense. And the first way in being a burden lifter is to forgive that offense, is to bear that. And you may have to bear it for a long time. You may have to, it may never get rectified, but you can lift the burden by saying, I forgive you. It could be, I'll give you one quick simple story. It could be as simple as something really practical as money. Maybe somebody, whatever ripped you off or took your money and didn't pay you back, whatever, right? But they're under financial burden. They're under pressure. You can say, you know what? You don't have to pay me back. Keep the 500 bucks or the 1,000 bucks, whatever it is. You don't have to pay me back. I forgive that debt. The money's obvious, but it can be an offense. You know, you hurt my pride. You know, you owe me an apology. But you know what? I forgive that debt. Forgiveness lifts the burden. It allows them a sense, an, an ability to deal with their transgression without this punishment coming down on them, right? You can forgive someone a debt. 
but then take the next step and help them bear that burden that's caused the debt. Right? So in that financial case, it's, yeah, you owe me a thousand bucks, but forget about that. But you know what else I'm going to do? Because I know you're having trouble with money. Let's get together every week, have a coffee, and we'll talk about your finances. I'm going to help you with this problem you have with money. I'm going to, let's sit there again, let's make a budget. Let me tell you how I handle my money. Let me look at your budget, see how you handle your money. That's, you know, here's a good book to read. And I'll, let's have coffee every month and I'll talk to you about how you're doing with your budget. Not only just forgive the debt, but then invest in their life to help them bear that burden of where they're stumbling. Right? If people are offending people, you say, let's get together and have a coffee and let's talk about relationships in your life. Why are you hurting the people around you? You Why are you offending people? You know, because it's not just me. I forgive you. That's fine. But you don't, you don't want to go forward this way in your life. People always having to forgive you, like 10 people a week having to forgive you. Let's talk about relationship. Let's talk about communication. Let's engage and help that person bear the load. Be burden lifters. Secondly, and that's, that's the second one, sorry. That's repaying evil with good. So you did the harm to me, but I'm going to repay that evil with good, right? First Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for in this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. So not only forgive, but then also go the next step and bless. Sorry, thirdly, maintain fellowship in order to restore and be encouraging. Don't break fellowship with people who have offended. Don't take, break fellowship with people who have been overcome in a transgression. There will be sin, there will be brokenness, there will be offense in the church, but maintain fellowship. Get past the relational awkwardness or the sense that you would cut somebody off from community. The load that we bear is so much lighter when we know we're accepted and not rejected. Romans twelve eighteen says, If possible, so far as it depends at you, live peaceably with all. This sense of community is what people are here for. We cannot cut people off from the hospital when they're sick. It's when they're sick that they need the hospital. And so be burden lifters by maintaining that sense of community. Christ bore all of our sins. He refused to retaliate. Christ did not repay evil with evil. He Instead, he went further and blessed and paid the price, and he must keep on paying that price for our sin and our transgression. And so if we are to fulfill the law of Christ, we have to be Christ-like in that same way. And then finally, just a quick warning to burden bearers. The warning here over and over and over again that Paul is talking about is that it has to be done in gentleness and in humility. That we have to be humble and gentle. Purity in the church is rooted in humility. If we want to be that hospital that's clean and helpful and encouraging and safe, and when you walk in, people come through the doors, they think, this is a place I'm going to get better. If we want to be that type of a hospital, that type of a church, then it's rooted in humility and gentleness. The person who's dealing with the offense needs to humble themselves and remember that we don't have any pride to stand on. Because the law of Christ is that he's done it all. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. Paul's using strange language here, and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And Paul's switching context here. He's saying we bear the load for each other, but in the end, we're going to face Christ alone. And so we need to be humble. We need to realize that we're going to have to answer for ourselves one day. And so we don't have anything to lord it over anybody else in dealing with their transgression, in dealing with their stumbling. We don't have any higher ground to speak down on them about because we're going to have to face our own accountability for our own stumbling is what Paul's talking about here. And so this needs to be done in a spirit of humility and gentleness.
Everyone bears their own burden, only as Christ gives them strength. And we bear the burdens of others in the strength of Christ. So in that spirit of the desire of God that we be burden lifters, and that burden lifting and this gentleness and this this purity and this healing that can take place in the church comes from the spirit of humility, we actually have this awesome opportunity right now as we enter into communion. Because we're going to come into uh, communion now in a place where we can actually engage with God in that humility, that we can engage with our Father, come into his throne room in that spirit of humility and in that understanding that this is his hope for the church, that we be burden lifters in humility and gentleness. And so we can, even now as we come into communion, we can address that issue in our own lives and maybe address the issue of what Paul's talking about, where there's been offense in the church, where there's been transgression. A brother or sister has been overtaken. And maybe it's us that were the result of that transgression. But here's how we approach it. And we bring it to God, and we deal with them as a community. We deal with them as individuals in humility and gentleness to restore them, to mend them, to bring them back into wholeness with Christ and with the church and with the community. That's God's desire for the church, that we be burden lifters and not burden placers. Let's pray. Father God, even now as we go into communion, I would ask that we can bring these things to you with humble hearts, with gentleness, that as we deal with each other where there's been transgression, where, where I've transgressed, Lord, where I've offended, where I've allowed pride or my own sin or something to cause me to stumble and offend people, that, that I would be dealt with with gentleness and humility, that I would deal with others in gentleness and humility, that as a church this would be a safe place for people to come and know that burdens will be lifted, that burdens will not be placed on them, There won't be a burden of shame. There won't be a burden of gossip. There won't be a burden of self-righteousness. There won't be a burden of arrogance. That instead, we as a people will be burden lifters. We will come around each other in our weakness and lift each other up. As you came to us in our weakness and lifted us up into a relationship with you that we could not have attained of our own merit. So Father, help us as a church to fulfill the law of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.